How do you feel when you hear church ease? Do you know what I mean by church ease? Church ease are those phrases that only Christians use. And a lot of times I think they use them, they don't even know why they're saying them. Like, for example, when somebody gives you bad news. Oh, I can't believe such and such got into a car accident. That's terrible. And the person next to you will go, Amen. Amen means let it be. What do you mean let it be? Don't get in a car accident. That's terrible. Or some other news. Amen. Amen. It's really one of my pet peeves. Another Christian phrase that we tend to use is, Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We even have a song. I like the song. But when somebody comes up to me and says, Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Even I'm instantly turned off from that conversation. Another phrase that often comes up is, Are you born again? Now, this is a very important question, but it should be done in a way that we can understand. So this week, this teaching, we're going to share a teaching from our Sunday service, March 1st. And in that teaching, we look at the phrase born again. It's the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. So if you want to understand what it means to be born again, and more importantly, hear why it matters, take out your Bible with us. Turn to John chapter 3 and follow along in this conversation as Jesus tries to explain to one of the smartest guys in Israel who seems to not get it. He's explaining to us what does it mean to be born again. Isn't it nice to just breathe? Isn't it weird? If you ever have an Apple Watch, it actually tells you when to breathe. It seems like a funny feature, but it tells you just stop and breathe. And they've actually noticed how, how many health benefits there are to just stopping and breathing. Isn't it funny? Isn't that kind of been like a tradition for thousands of years? For thousands of years, cultures have been talking about how to breathe. How have we not gotten it? <laughs> Why do I need teaching on how to breathe? And the rabbinic concept of the breath is really interesting because they talk about it almost like a glass blower. One of the rabbis said it's like a glass blower. Um, have you ever seen somebody blow glass? They have the long tube, they have the glass on the end, and they're just blowing, and they give shape to the glass. So the rabbi said when the scriptures talk about breath, it's like that. There's a word that means a breath when it starts, a breath when it's moving, and a breath when it rests. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. We started in. Where is Vincy? I think she went upstairs already. We'll cover it. I like it when she reads, too. So the rabbis, when they talk about this, they say there's a start, there's like a middle process, and then there's an end. In Genesis, when it talks about Adam, it actually talks about the resting state of breath. When it says God breathed into Adam, right? The word for breath, the word for wind, is all the same word, spirit. So it's, he put spirit, he put breath into Adam, and it's the resting state. So then we can see that the glass blower, the one that creates this, is God himself. God breathes his spirit into us. 
And I always loved that the moving state of wind, the moving state of the spirit in Hebrew is Ruach HaKodesh. And it translates as Holy Spirit. So somehow our goal is to figure out how to almost kickstart that breath again. How do we get it moving? And I remember I heard this story once about this American traveler that decided to go to Africa. When he went to Africa, he was going to cover as much land of Africa as he possibly could. So having money, he hired people to help him. So he hired people to carry equipment, and then he needed a translator. So he needed a bunch of people to help him do this massive trip. So when he gets there on his first day, they head out on the trip, and they cover a lot of territory. They cover a lot of ground. Day number two, they wake up, they cover a lot of ground. Day number three, they cover a lot of ground, right? More, more, more. So day four, he wakes up, and what does he want to do? Let's get going. Let's break. We're doing good. Let's get going. Let's, let's build on what we have. Let's do the next thing. Where, where are we going to next? What's the next thing? He's in that mode. What's the next thing? Let's get going. What's the next thing? The only problem is all the guys he had hired to help him out, they don't move. They're not budging. So he goes to his translator and says, why aren't the guys moving this morning? And he goes, they have said that we are moving too fast, and they have to wait for their spirits to catch up to their bodies. They have to wait for their spirits to catch up to their bodies. He is so in the zone to do whatever the next thing is. Here are these guys saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. He's so driven, think about how much it must cost to take a trip to Africa and hire people to help you. How much of it is he actually seeing? That's really why we just sang that last song, to try to get us in that mindset. And I really believe as we look at John 3, Nicodemus is in this mindset. He's right there. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, help us to slow down. Help us to slow down. It is so easy to just pass over, especially if we've heard a story before. It is so easy to pass over it. Here, Nicodemus, he comes in, and what is his statement? Hey, good teacher of Israel, I know that you're a good teacher. 
I know that you come from God. I see what you're up to. I see what you're doing. And what's Jesus' response? You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. But Nicodemus' statement is, hey, look at all these things that I can see. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, that's funny because you can't see. You lack the ability. Now, this had to be very strange for Nicodemus because Nicodemus is a smart guy. He comes in as a Pharisee. The Pharisees are experts in legal law. He's an expert in the Old Testament, right? Not only is Nicodemus this expert in the Old Testament, he is one of the experts. He sits on the Sanhedrin. He is a leader of Israel. He is recognized so much for how smart he is, for how good he is, for how talented he is, that he is seen as one of the best people in the country. Now, sometimes I feel like it's easy for us to look at him and say, yeah, but this is pre-Jesus. He doesn't actually know Jesus, so that's why he thinks he knows what he's talking about. Just to give you a little insight of the Sanhedrin, some sources say that in order to get on the Sanhedrin, you had to have raised the dead at least once. Okay? Nicodemus isn't just a smart guy. He's a spiritual guy. He's got it down. Not only is he educated and spiritual, he's also wealthy. Nicodemus has a lot to offer. He's got a lot to bring to the table. So when he comes up and he says, hey, Jesus, I know that you're a smart guy. I know that you're a good guy. I know that you're a spiritual guy. I know that you're a successful guy, just like me. Just like me. Aren't we the same? See, he looks at it and says, I know that you come from God. What's the problem with that? He's talking to God, and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> He's, he has all the right things. He should know what's going on. He's looking at God face to face. He doesn't even know it. But John, the author, he kind of lets us know this, because he says that Nicodemus came at night. You might have heard people talk about this. They usually say that Nicodemus came at night because he was scared. But the truth is, Nicodemus came at night because he's busy. <laughs> he's helping run the country. He's helping run his estates. He's got lots of studies going on. He probably has students, right? He's managing a lot of things. So he came when he was available, which was at night. So he comes at night. So naturally, this looks normal. But John is going... He says something totally different. See, to John, night means something. If you're reading along with us, you read John chapter 1 and John chapter 2, and John is talking a lot about light and darkness. When he gets to this point and says Nicodemus came at night, he's making a comment on Nicodemus' condition. A condition that even Nicodemus didn't know he was in. Nicodemus, you came at night. You can't see. You are spending your days as a person that's supposed to see for all Israel, and you yourself can't see. Jesus even will make this comment later. Aren't you a teacher of Israel? And you don't understand these things? 
you can't see these things, it's kind of like a, a tease on words. Because he says, I see, which means physical, right? Jesus, I see you and what you're doing. And Jesus says, no, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. And what he's talking about is experience. You know a lot about what you're talking about, but you've never experienced it. Much like a person who's been traveling too fast and doesn't even know they don't have the spirit. Traveling so fast and so far ahead. And this isn't just a comment on Nicodemus. This is actually all Israel. John is alluding to the same state as when Samuel the prophet came. When he shows up, it says, and the light of the Lord was dim in that time. The light and the presence of God was absent. And even Nicodemus admitted it. See, they were all waiting. We've talked about this. All Israel's waiting for Jesus to show up. They just don't know it's him. They know that when Moses said, when the prophet shows up, this is what's going to happen. The government's going to get better. Worship is going to get better. There's not going to be sickness. There's not going to be war. All these things will be better. So Nicodemus, he wants the Messiah to show up, and he doesn't even know he can't see him. He's sitting there talking to him face to face, and here we have John say, Nicodemus came at night. You have no idea where you're at or what you need. You don't know. So Jesus kind of slips in and says, don't you study the spirit? Don't you understand that the spirit is like the wind? It's coming this way. It's coming from that way. You don't know. You don't know where it came from or where it's going. You have, you have no knowledge of this wind that I'm talking about. And here, Jesus is kind of teasing him a little bit again, because what he's referring to is Ezekiel and the dry bones. He's saying, Nicodemus, we are in the valley of the dry bones. Now, I think that Nicodemus will probably agree with Jesus and say, yeah, we're in the valley of the dry bones. What's the problem? Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, you're a good teacher. What are we going to do about these dry bones? The only problem is Nicodemus is a skeleton asking the question. He's a dead man walking. Can you imagine it? That's how I picture the conversation. I picture the conversation almost like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. When they have the curse of the Black Pearl, when the moonlight hits, all of a sudden you see that the pirates are dead. <laughs> They're just skeletons walking. Nicodemus is this walking skeleton nudging Jesus going, what are we going to do about these dead people? And Jesus looks at him and says, you need to be born again. This word born again, I call it a loaded term. Because it seems like an easy phrase, but it's a phrase that's full, full of stuff. To the ancients, when you said this term, what it comes from is this, this Greek word, we would say palingenesis, but it's palingenesia. This palingenesis, this is an idea that is old. And what the idea is, is that societies in the world kind of has this cycle that it runs off of. Now, every once in a while it gets to the end of the cycle and there's utter destruction just for it to be 
reborn again. Does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar. For me, my background is in uh, Eastern religions. So for a time, I had to study things like samsara. <laughs> it's the cycle. It's a very old idea that goes back to who knows how knows when. All these societies believed society would eventually come to an end and need to be reborn. That's the word that Jesus is using. He's saying all things come to an end and must be reborn. That's the term we use. When we say you need to be reborn, we're saying it has to come to the end of things and then made new. Now to Nicodemus, what this word meant was the final judgment day. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you have to experience final judgment before you can ever see the kingdom. I like it. Samson just went. I, th I think that's what he did. To, to the Jewish mindset, the final judgment day was a day somewhere in the future. It was way in the distance. So all of a sudden, Nicodemus is like, how am I supposed to experience the last day today? That makes no sense. In a sense, Jesus is saying, you have to go all the way to the future and experience the future in order to experience life today. And Nicodemus is like, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. So here then, you know, often people go, oh, wasn't Nicodemus so silly? He thought he had to be born again. I think this is a little bit of sarcasm. He's kind of trying to give it back to Jesus. Oh, how does an old man go back into his mother's womb and is reborn again? He, he thinks this idea of experiencing the final judgment day is so ridiculous, it's as realistic as a man being physically born again. Physically born again. And then we see this strange story come up to try to really get Nicodemus to understand his state, to understand where is he at. Because remember, Nicodemus thinks he's it. He is it. He's the guy. He's got it all. Right? And Jesus somehow has to communicate where he is. So what does he say as he goes on? He says later in his story, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All of a sudden, Jesus brings in this Old Testament story of the wilderness. In this story in Exodus, the people rebel, and serpents come out of nowhere and start biting people. The people then have this poison of the serpent inside them, and they just start dropping over left and right. 
So everybody, you know, like good leaders, they all panic and go, what do we do? <laughs> so when they're like, what do we do? Suddenly the revelation is, make a serpent of brass and lift it up. And the people who have been bitten, if they look at the serpent that has been lifted up, they will be healed of what's going on. The commentaries say the serpents represented things. What did it represent? Sin. The poison of the serpent was sin inside the people. And it was the sin inside the people that was killing them. Because this story looks a little weird. Because you might think, how does looking at a snake heal people? And it's actually where we get the, when you see like the blue cross, blue shield, right? In health circles to this day, you'll see the staff with the serpent, right? It comes from this story. So all of a sudden they're saying, if you look at this snake, the thing that just bit you, then you'll be healed. I don't know about you, but those two things don't really connect <laughs> to me. I get kind of confused. Now, this is where it gets kind of tricky. So we have the poison in the people is sin. And looking at their sin will heal them. Jesus is trying to give Nicodemus a clue about what's going to happen. See, what's about to happen is a little bit down the road, the Son of Man will be lifted up just like the serpent, and whoever has the sin in them looks at him will be healed. Why? Because what did Jesus do? Jesus became the embodiment of the sin. Just as the people in the wilderness got bit by the snake and had to look to the snake in order to be healed, they had to see their sin go somewhere else outside of them. It had to be taken care of outside of them. It could not happen inside of them. Inside of them, it was actively killing them. They could not fight it inside of them. They had to have it happen outside of them so that they could be healed. They had to look up at the serpent and say, my sin is there so that I am well. And this is what Jesus is saying. And it goes back to that word, because what is, what is that? What is it when the serpent is up there? What is it when Jesus is up there? Judgment. And th this is why Nicodemus had a problem. Jesus is here talking about eternal life. But to Nicodemus, eternal life happened the day after the judgment day. It's not something you can experience today. You just have to wait for it to happen. You have to wait for that time down the road. And what is Jesus saying, Nicodemus? That final act of judgment is not somewhere down the road. The day when all sin is taken care of is not down the road. The place where new birth, the new creation, it's not a time. It's a person. It's a person. Nicodemus struggled with this concept of eternal life and receiving life and having new life because he's trying to sit there and work it out himself. 
I'm a good teacher. I'm a good person. I'm a spiritual guy. I'm helping lead Israel. Look at all these things I'm doing. Look at all the tasks that are driving me. I can get it done. I'm working toward my goal. I'm going to get there. But even Nicodemus finally looks at it and says, I am walking and acting and talking like I'm in the light, but I am in the darkness, just like everybody else. There's a disconnect between what we do and feeling life. And the disconnect is eternal life is not achieved by what happens in here. What's my problem? What's my problem with eternal life? I'm trying to work it all out in here. What do I do? I tell myself if I can just get to the next day. If I can just get to this thing, if I can just be good until this moment, if I can just do these five things, if I can just pray like this, if I could just read my Bible like this, if I could just help people like this, if I could just provide a good income for my family, if I could just have good friends, if I could just, 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 I can't. I can't. What's my problem with eternal life? Me. Me. My problem is, it's not about me. It's not about us. Why, why do we feel so disconnected in our journey every day? Why do we have to wait for our spirits to catch up to us? Why do we feel the disconnect? Why do we feel the lack of life? We are so busy trying to do it that we can't receive it. And this is it. This is, this is where Wesley would get into it with people. John Wesley would try to get people to understand grace. Because this is grace. This is grace. He would talk about the assurance of faith. Because people want to know, how do you know? How do you know you're saved? How do you know you know? How, how are you in it? What, what do I do? Right? Do you see the trap? What do I need to do to believe? What do I need to do to trust? What do I need to do? We are still doing it. We are still trying to get it done ourselves. And the truth is we can't. John Wesley tried over and over again. The very foundations of the Salvation Army are in this concept. And the concept is we believe by faith. At some point, you surrender all the ideas, all the philosophy, all the good deeds, you got to surrender all of it, and you hit the point where you really admit to yourself, I can't do it. I can't do it. I cannot do it. For some of us, the tricky thing is we have come to believe, and we're still trying to do it. And we're still trying to get it done. And it, this, this really just comes back to that idea Nicodemus didn't get this moment where my sin is dealt with is inside Jesus. When I am in Jesus, I experience the release and the freedom. My problem is I go in Jesus, experience freedom, and get so happy I skip out. I enter the darkness again, and I go, what happened? 
and then I go back in. <laughs> I get excited, and then I go back out. Because our final freedom is a person, we really have to be with that person for life. Our decision to be with Jesus is not a moment in time. If we continue to look at our freedom like a moment in time, then we'll feel the separation. We'll feel like yo-yos in the spirit. I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes I feel like a yo-yo. I mean, it would, my older brothers would agree that I'm a yo-yo. But I feel like a yo-yo. Sometimes I'm away from God. Sometimes I'm close to God. Sometimes I'm away from God. Sometimes I'm close to God. And each time that happens to me, I gratefully get more tired of it. I don't want it anymore. And the problem is, it's simple. It's not about me. <laughs> it's about a person, but I'm not it. It's about Jesus and what Jesus did. It's about what he continues to do. It wasn't a one-time stop. It's not a quick fix. It's not some kind of quick solution. It's not a microwave decision. We jump into Jesus, and we make the choice every moment to stay in Jesus. This is what God was even warning from the very beginning. He looked at Cain and said, beware. Sin is outside your door. Waiting. If you step outside for one second, that serpent will bite you all over again. You need to stay put. And the only place we can stay is in Jesus, constantly saying, I forgot, it's not about me, it's about you. It's about what you did. And it puts it into context, right? Because where does he go? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. As we're going through John, this is our focus, the exalted Lord. As you continue to read for Lent, get it in that this is the message that Jesus is teaching every single moment. You're going to go through stories that you've read who knows how many times or heard in how many Sunday school classes. We're going to talk about the woman at the well. You're going to talk about the woman caught in adultery and stoned. You're going to talk about leaders who need their children to be raised. And you're going to hear these Bible stories and go, you know, like I've heard the story before. I have heard it before, right? I know this story. I remember this story. I've studied this story. Is that where it comes back to? Oh, I got this. Oh, I'll skip over these couple verses. I know those really well. I, 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 I. The challenge for this season of Lent, as we lead to Easter, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not 
in a hurry. That's my eye. I'm waiting on you. I'm trusting on you. It's okay to have an I statement if it ends with him. I trust in you. I believe in you. I'm for you today. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember your words. I'm going to see you more. Our challenge for Lent as we study John, just like John has done, is to exalt the risen Savior and say he is Lord. Let's pray. Oh, God. Help. Help. Lord, I just remember Bob so frequently saying, my favorite prayer in Scripture, Psalm 12, 1. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Help. Help us. Help us to see you. Help us to not come these next Sundays or any Sunday or any day. Help us to start every day humbly before you. Help us to see you lifted and exalted and high. Help us to not get into the trap of trying to deal with everything and solve everything and be the solution to everything. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you. Help us to recognize what you have done. Help us to receive it. Help us to just walk in faith. Even that is by your grace. We believe that it is your grace coming into it, even making it possible for us to, to look at you and to behold you and to say, I take you at your word. Trust is really not just saying, I think what you say is true, but I'm going to act like what you say is true. You don't even have to have it. In, we expect this moment in our heart, Lord, to suddenly be sealed and delivered from all doubt and all, you know, all the stuff that wages against us and these theologies and philosophies of the world coming against us. We think that our mind has to be so sorted out and that our heart has to be sorted out and then our action has to be all done. We get these plans that if we just do these things, everything will be better. If I just, if I just, if I just... It never works, God, and we end up discouraged. We end up full of doubt. We end up lacking hope. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, and our hearts have been sick for too long. We want to know your life. We want to know that life that comes not just from what's happened in the past, but what's happened in the future. Somehow, in some way, Lord, when we receive you in the work that you do, we recognize that all judgment and all con condemnation has been dealt with in you, that you became the embodiment for sin for us so that we could know freedom. But it is only if we see you, it is only if we declare you in the work that you've done for us, and we do, we do as a family, God, we cry out to you and say, as for our house, we look to the one true Lord and we say we worship and we serve you. Help us to see you and help us to hear you. That's what we want. We don't want some kind of logical textbook knowledge of who you are. We want an experiential knowledge of your Holy Spirit in this place. We want your spirit to go with us Go with us to work. Go with us to home. Go with us down the street. Go with us as we visit family. God, be with us as we visit Major Fran in Pennsylvania. Be with us at the SET. God, we recognize how your spirit has moved through these people. 
how you've given new employment, how you've given healing as you give comfort when people have died and moved on, God. You are there. You are there. You are there as Endu steps up to pray and she brings the house down. A house that man built. It was brought down by the blood of Jesus so that it could be resurrected and born again into your kingdom. Help us to experience it in every moment. Help, it, help us to really grasp onto the idea that new creation is not something in the future, it's something today. It is something right now. Help us to take all these moments that we were trying to fix and put them in you where this new creation happens and surrender it to you. And we do that. We go over the list that we shared today boldly as Grace was leading prayer. We say that this disease, this virus that's spreading through the world, it must submit to you. Coronavirus and any other virus submits its need to Jesus. We put this whole situation and we take the fear that people are experiencing and the desperation, the hopelessness, we put it in you, God, so that that can reach its end and it can be reborn in hope. That's the power of you, God. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is once we were in darkness and we have now seen the light, the light that was in the beginning before there was the beginning, the light that was the word that walked through, that creation came through, that all chaos found its order. And we speak to that now. For the situations that weren't brought in prayer, prayer, I speak it, Lord. I say we take it in faith. If anything that's happening to somebody right now in their heart, I pray that they bring it to you in this moment so that it can find its life. May we never be able to look at a valley of dry bones the same again. May we be able to look over whatever dry bones we see and see the opportunity for the creation that you are bringing. That is a matter of time. That is a matter that it will happen. Dry bones will not stay dry forever. Doubt and hopelessness, they are temporary. Sorrow and weeping is temporary. Sickness, disease, joblessness, all these things we bring to you in your mighty name so that the new creation can start today in us. And Lord, we do submit us first. May it happen to your people first. And may it spread to the rest of the world so that the world will lift up the name of Jesus and recognize who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Keep it coming. Don't give up. Who, who all has been reading with us in John? That was such an honest hand. I was going to say, she was like, it's, it's in there. It's in there. It's all through this gospel. Think about what it will be like if we use what Grace taught us about reading scripture. We apply it. By the time we get to Easter, I don't know what we might look like. I don't know what we might look like. What will work and home look like? At some point, you got to just get sick and tired of it and say, this is done. 
This is done. Thank you for stopping by. We love it when you visit us here at the Bay Ridge Salvation Army. You can find out more about us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to help support what we do, simply text BRLOVE to 41444. That's BRLOVE to 41444.